Well, hello, church. Welcome to SBCC. If you are a guest or you're visiting, uh, just welcome. Welcome. Thank you for being here. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't met you personally, uh, I want to let you know a little bit about me. When I was in high school, uh, my friends and I, we, we loved to dance. Anytime there was a dance, we would dance battle. And so whether it was a dance at one of the high schools or maybe it was a key club event, maybe it was a birthday party, if there was a dance floor and a DJ, we were going to battle. And so we would battle these other dancers. And we had some friends in PV, Powell's Verdes at Peninsula High School. They were dancers too. And they got invited to perform at a festival in Koreatown. Um, I kid you not, not trying to be stereotypical. It was going to be a kimchi festival in Koreatown, right in the heart of Koreatown. And they invited my friends at West High to, to join them. And so we were going to choreograph and practice this dance. So for months, months and months, sometimes multiple times each week, we would get together and we gave our hearts to this performance. I'm telling you, cash, sweat, and tears. Uh, the, the, the dance, before there was a BTS, okay, this is in the 90s, there was a, a, a K-pop group called H.O.T. Anybody know H.O.T.? Yeah, we got a, we got a K-pop fan right here in the front row. H.O.T., uh, and they had this so- hit song, it was called Candy. So we're going to, yeah, I know it sounds gangster. We're going to dance to Candy. And um, so cash, sweat, and tears. Cash because we were in high school. We had to pull together whatever spending money we had from our parents to uh, get a taxi cab to take us up to PV. None of us had a driver's license. No one had a car. Uh, we would have, to have to rent out a dance room at times. And so we, we were spending whatever money we, we could just to get together to practice. Sweat because, man, we would practice multiple times a week, hours at a time. It was grueling. Tears because we're high schoolers, it's drama in high school, there's hurt feelings, talking behind each other's backs, frustration, there were tears. And I I just remember just practicing so much for this performance at this festival. And as the the day approached when we were going to perform at this kimchi festival, I I just remember the, the frustrations and the emotions intensifying, the anxiety, the excitement, uh, the, 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 the uh, anger between each other, everything was building up. And then I remember that Saturday morning of the festival. We got our costumes, our HOT costumes, and our, our makeup on, and we're backstage, and we're, we're just getting ready for them to cue the, the, the track, and we're going to hit the stage. And I remember sitting backstage, everybody's hearts are pounding, our legs are shaking, our palms are sweaty. This is the moment we had been preparing for. And when the beat dropped, we all ran out to the stage, and for the next three minutes, we gave it all we got. And I'll be honest, we nailed it. We nailed it. We hit every beat. We were in sync. We were full of energy. We were H-O-T. We were H-O-T. And then after those three minutes, everybody's cheering. We come off stage. We're all high-fiving each other, hugging each other. And as we were backstage, I'll never forget this moment. This is the moment I'll never forget. We're sitting backstage. We're standing in a circle. We're looking at each other. And one friend in our group says to the groups, she says, so what do we do now? And we all just kind of shrugged our shoulders and somebody said, let's go get kimchi samples. And we said, okay. And so we went to go get kimchi samples. The end. 
That's the end of the story. And you're, you're probably thinking, that's the story? That's so anticlimactic. And I'm telling you, it was so anticlimactic. It was so anticlimactic. I, I, I couldn't help but wonder after that day, was that it? All the sweat and tears, the money, the taxi rides, the frustrations, the fights, all of that was for three minutes of glory on the stage. And even as a high schooler, I had a process after that. Was that worth it? What was I hoping to get out of that? And I'll always remember as a time when I felt so unsatisfied and so unfulfilled. And I I share that with you because I wonder how many of you have given so much to something, so much energy, so much time, so much of your resources, so much of your heart, only to find that it really came to nothing much at all, that it really had no lasting value. And the Bible, I realize, has a phrase for it. The Bible calls it chasing after the wind, and I've always loved that description because I think it's so fitting. It's, it's this picture of you pursuing something, trying to grab a hold of something, trying to get it into your hands, and it's almost like you can never catch up to it. And once you think you do, you realize that it's really empty. It's unfulfilling. It's unsatisfying. It's not as significant. It's not as substantial as you thought it would be. You're chasing after the wind. Today we kick off a new vision series, and I want us to think about church together. And I know that as a church, we can be one that chases after the wind, right? And and we spend all this time for things that really have no lasting value, or we can be a church that chases after the winds, the victories, the successes that are truly of eternal value, the, the successes that are truly successful in the eyes of God. So today we kick off this vision series, and we're calling it Chasing After the Win. Not the wind, but the win. And so I want to start off by inviting you to turn to Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. And uh, before we get into that, um, I I want us to pray and ask the Lord to give us vision. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we open up your word Together as your church, we pray that you would give us vision, that you would give us eyes to see the things that you want us to see, God. I pray that you would give us perspective, that you would give us a biblical framework. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be um, what a man sees or what some leaders see. We pray that you would help us to see what you see. And we pray that there would be alignment, that we would align with you, and we would be about the things that you desire uh, this church to be. So, Lord, would you speak to us through your word? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Ecclesiastes, if you've never read it, it's a very meaningful book. I'd highly recommend you to to read it. And uh, very meaningful, and it starts off like this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. It says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Says who? Well, says one of the most accomplished men in all of history. Like literally when there are entrepreneurs and politicians and 
pastors and influencers and athletes, when everybody's trying to build a kingdom, a so-called kingdom for themselves, here's this man who actually built a kingdom for himself. And it was one of the biggest, richest, most prosperous kingdoms in ancient history. It was a legitimate kingdom. Here's just a tiny bit of his resume. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he goes on in verse 4 and 8. King Solomon writes this. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. And the list goes on. You read through the book all that he acquired and attained in life. And, and this is a kind of a humble list that he gives. He barely scratches the surface of this kingdom that he built for himself. And yet the, the, the point is clear. He had a lot. He was known to build extravagant buildings. He took 13 years to build this huge palace known as Solomon's Temple. Book of First Kings tells us that he had 12,000 horses and 1,400 chariots, which sounds like a fairy tale, but archaeology tells us that there were actual cities built to house his chariots and his horses. And so Solomon, King Solomon, was so extra I mean, he, he was one of those people who had the highest numbers, the widest reputation, the greatest success that the world had ever seen. And yet in verse 11 of Ecclesiastes 2, here's what he says. He says, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And so he looks at all that he had chased after his whole life, all that he had toiled for, and his conclusion was meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. One translation, one version of the Bible says, vanity, vanity, pure vanity, emptiness. It really came to nothing much at all. And as a church, I think it would be wise for us to really glean from the wisdom of Solomon that God graciously granted Solomon toward the end of his life. And I think we should take note of the, the truth that he concluded that many things, even if they appear to be good, as good as they can appear to be, they can come out to be nothing more than empty vanity, meaningless, a fruitless chasing after the wind. So let's identify where the wind is, what it looks like, and let's resolve not to chase after the wind. Let's not chase after the wind. I know we could do a whole series here at this church talking about winds that we as individuals can chase after, like power and prestige and success and status and money and materials and cars and clothing. We could chase after things and find that it's all wind. We could do a whole series on that. But what are some of the vain pursuits that as a church we can sometimes find ourselves chasing after? What are some things as a church we, we spend a lot of time and effort and energy pouring into? Let me 
name at least a couple. I could name at least a couple forms of wind. For example, activity. Activity. We can mistake the success of our church by how much we do. And sometimes individually and even as a church, it feels like the busier we are, the more significant we are. The, the busier we are, the more buzz we create, and that can give us a sense of significance. And this, this is tricky because a lot of the works that we do as a church, a lot of them are good works. We, we could do like harvest festivals and VBS. We could hold conferences and mission trips. We can do beach cleanups and blood drives. And we could do a lot of good things and we could be very busy. But if we're celebrating just how much we're doing, but not measuring the impact of what we do, then we might find that it really is chasing after the wind. I wonder how significant and successful the church really is if we're not measuring the impact we're really having. In the book of Revelation, Jesus actually addresses seven churches, and he addresses this one church in particular in Sardis, and he actually rebukes them. Like he calls them out. And here's what he says to Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Actually, verse 1, he says this. Jesus says to Sardis, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And so he's saying, you church in Sardis, you have a reputation of being vibrant and alive. I see your works. You're doing a lot of stuff, but inside you are spiritually dead. And he calls them out and he calls them to repentance. And so it's possible to do a lot, but actually do very little that actually honors God. And so activity can be a form of chasing after wind, if we're not careful. Here's another form of wind, not just activity, but attendance. We talked about this last week. And sometimes we look at how many bodies are in the building. And a lot of times people will measure the success of a church or how healthy a church is by how many people are coming, how many people are in attendance, how fast is the church growing, and usually that's the metric that people will use to determine if a good church is good or not. The problem is just because something grows large and fast doesn't mean it's healthy. You could come to my backyard. I got weeds that grow large and fast, really fast, larger than many of the healthy plants we have at home. But who wants weeds? Nobody wants weeds. They cause trouble. They're easily plucked. Nobody wants weeds. And so attendance in a church can grow for a number of reasons. It could be because the, the music is great, the lights are bright, the preacher's motivating, the coffee's good, the parking's convenient, the bathrooms are clean, and all those things can draw a crowd. And don't get me wrong, none of those things are inherently bad. Those aren't, we try to have those things here. We want those things here. But all I'm saying is that if, if we're trying to use those things simply and ultimately just to draw a large crowd, then we can be chasing after the wind if nothing is actually happening to the hearts of those among the crowds. If nothing's happening to the hearts, no lives are being impacted, no hearts are being transformed, then we are simply chasing after the wind. We could possibly have a lot of bodies in the building and it could be that all those bodies just come to consume. Maybe they come to be motivated. They come to be amused. They, they come to feel good about themselves. They come to check off a religious box. 
And so if we're not careful, attendance can simply be chasing after the wind. But let's not chase after the wind. Let's not chase after things that in the big eternal scheme of things have no lasting significance at all. Let's chase after the, the winds, the things that are truly victories and successes in the eyes of God. Let's figure out what those things are and let's pursue those things. Amen, church? Let's pursue those things. And so activity and attendance don't always reveal if we as a church, if we're experiencing winds or not. But I'll tell you what can tell us a lot more about the winds we're experiencing. Here, here, for example, is something that I believe can tell me so much more about a win in this church than sheer attendance numbers. How does this tell us about winds? Well, let me show you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, if you would. Matthew 28, and this passage is going to help set the table for where we're going in this series. And it's in Matthew 28. I want to point out two observations, and these two observations are going to really help us to see what the real winds look like, okay? So I'm going to give uh, one to you first. If you're taking notes, here's the first observation. Here's the first win. A win is when we are reproducing and multiplying ourselves. When we see ourselves reproducing and multiplying, then that's a win. Let me show you how. So Matthew chapter 28, here's the setup. Jesus died and he resurrected. And after he resurrected, he spent some time, uh, some time with his disciples and then he was about to ascend back into heaven. But right before he ascends back into heaven, he leaves this instruction for his disciples and it's such an important instruction it's so important we call it today we call it the great commission and here's how he leaves his disciples in Matthew 28 verse 19 it goes like this he says to them go therefore and make disciples of all nations pause right there hit the pause button right there he says go and make disciples of all nations that means the entire world. Now, let me ask you, who is he talking to? His disciples. How many disciples was he talking to? Eleven. There were twelve. He lost one. His name was Judas. So now he's only got eleven. And my question is, how are the eleven disciples realistically going to make disciples of all nations around the globe? I'll tell you this, it's not going to be by addition. It's going to have to come through multiplication. It's going to have to come through reproduction. Jesus, as he ascends, we get to Acts chapter 1, and he actually says one more thing. He says, hey, when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he takes off. So the book of Acts shows us this church made of little, these 11 disciples start to grow. And by Acts chapter 6, now they have a few more disciples, believers with them. And already the church has needs. Like there's people who need help. There's widows who need to be fed. There's people who need prayer. And these disciples can't do it all. And so they empower the believers to carry the works of the ministry so that the disciples can focus on prayer and distributing the word of God. 
And so they're now getting the whole church to work together. Everybody's working together in unity so that the disciples can administer the word of God. And what happens when the body of Christ works together in unity so that the word of God can go forth? Well, let me show you. Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says, when that was happening, it says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied. Highlight that word. The, the, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in where? Jerusalem. So starting right there in Jerusalem, then we get to Acts chapter 9. They're continuing to be faithful to this great commission. In Acts chapter 9 verse 31 it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What did it do? It multiplied. As they're being faithful to the Great Commission, it's multiplying in Jerusalem. It's going out to Judea and Samaria and Galilee. And then it goes beyond that, just like Jesus said. Now it goes to places like Caesarea. And in Acts chapter 12, we're in Caesarea now. And in verse 24, it says, but the word of God increased and it multiplied. Just like Jesus said, if you're faithful to this instruction then you will see it go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, and beyond to other nations of the earth like Caesarea. Understand this. God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. But how in the world... Is the world going to know about this Jesus guy? How in the world is Jesus going to go viral? They don't have TikTok. They don't have YouTube. They don't have Twitter. How is Jesus going to be known throughout the world? I'll tell you how. When his 11 disciples are committed to making disciples. When those followers of Jesus are committed to reproducing their faith and multiplying the kingdom of God, that's the only way how. I want to show you a picture. Anyone know what this is? Anybody know what this is? <laughs> this is not our church. This is a building in which our church meets. I'll show you another picture. This is our church. It's the followers of Christ gathered together. It's the collection of Christ's disciples gathered together as one. It's the people, and you know that. I want to remind you that the church is not an organization. The church is an organism. It's an organization, but more than anything, it's an organism. It's a living, breathing, growing body of Christ. And living organisms, they reproduce and multiply. That's what living organisms do. They reproduce and multiply. If it doesn't, it's not healthy and it will die. Living organisms reproduce and multiply. And so a win in the church is when we are able to see evidence that our faith is being reproduced and what God has given us is being multiplied for his kingdom and his name's sake. That's how we know we're experiencing a win. 
And so in this series, we're going to look more in the next few weeks what reproduction and multiplication looks like. Next weekend is missions weekend. We're going to talk about what it looks like at a global level. We'll talk about what it looks like on a church level. We'll talk about what it looks like in your individual lives. At every level, you have a role to play because we all have a role to play in multiplication and reproduction. We'll talk about churches reproducing churches, servants reproducing servants, ministers reproducing ministers, life groups reproducing life groups. That's a win in this church. But let me share with you one. Let me share with you one win. Last week, we had baptisms here at all three services. And unless you went online to watch it all, you didn't get to see everybody that got baptized. So let me show you one person. Here's a picture of Sergio. Here's Sergio. And this picture is so awesome in so many ways. And it's probably because I know something you don't know. Why is this picture so awesome to me? Because here's a picture from about a year ago when Sergio couldn't even stand up. See, Sergio was walking down the street. He was visiting Southern California, and he was walking down the street when a random stranger performed a random act of violence and assaulted him from behind, shoved him, knocked him to the ground. He fell unconscious, and had a spinal injury that paralyzed him from the neck down. I had no idea who Sergio was. Never met him before until I get this email in my inbox. And here's what the email said. He said, I would like to thank South Bay Community Church. My name is Sergio Solano. I'm a victim of a crime, April 29, 2022, which caused a spinal cord injury that left me paralyzed from my neck down and labeled quadriplegic and left me bedbound. I was transferred to Baycrest Center in Torrance. I was laying there just looking up at the ceiling when Annie Mason walked through my room, 31A. That's how my journey begins. Thank you to my sister in Christ, Lauren, for all your prayers that were answered. Thank you for still being part of my support system. Thank you to my brother in Christ, Bob, for all that he's done for me, peeling and feeding me mandarins when I couldn't feed myself and for teaching me the word of God. This is a picture of Annie, Lauren, and Bob, who are just three of many people in this church who go to Baycrest Community Care Center in our city, and they just go to be with the people. They're just to be expressions of Christ, to, to sit there, to talk to them, to share with them, to keep them company when a lot of the patients there and the residents there don't have visitors. They're going to be the hands and feet of Christ. And as I was reading that email, it caught my attention that, that Bob, let me put that picture back up for you, Bob, who's on the right, he's on the right, he said he would sit there and peel and feed me mandarins. And he would teach me the word of God. And this right here is a picture of a win. It's a picture of a follower of Christ who's willing to sit there and peel and feed a person physically because that person can't. And also take that opportunity to build a friendship where eventually he could feed him the word of God, the bread of life. This is a win. 
And I love what Bob is doing because Bob is living out the Great Commission where he is reproducing his faith. And he is multiplying the kingdom of God by that very act. This orange was being used by God to allow Bob to be the hands of Jesus, to be the compassion and the love of Christ. Last week as Sergio stood on this stage, when he stood, I had tears because I knew something that a lot of you didn't. That there was a day a year ago when he couldn't stand. And when he climbed into that pool by himself to get baptized, I was blessed by that. That's a win in itself. That's the grace of God. But not just the, the, the win in getting baptized. He, he shared with us how now he's part of the South Bay Community Church family. And not just that. He's part of the SBCC team that now goes back to Baycrest. And now Sergio is on the other side of the bed, ministering to people at Baycrest. Bob is a story of someone in the church reproducing himself, a Christian servant who has reproduced another Christian servant, Sergio took what he received, now he's going and doing the same. Now he's ministering to people at Baycrest. And I pray that those he ministers to will one day become Christian servants, ministering to other people as well. That's what reproduction and multiplication looks like. That's a win worth chasing. Amen? So a win is when we are reproducing and multiplying ourselves. Let me show you a second observation from Matthew 28. Sorry to cut it so short, but let's continue on. The second win is this, when others are finding and following Jesus. When others are finding and following Jesus. Let's continue. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now keep that up there. I want to point out two participles, and those are the I-N-G words. I highlighted them for you. That's baptizing in verse 19, and that's teaching in verse 20. Now these are key to this great commission. Let's look at the first, teaching, or actually baptizing. Baptizing them refers to evangelism. Now, how does baptizing refer to evangelism? Let me show you how. In those days, in the book of Acts, when people would share the gospel, baptism was almost simultaneous, if not synonymous with conversion. Like whenever someone in the book of Acts received the gospel and wanted to believe, they would get baptized. It was almost one and the same event. Right, these days, just imagine, let's say you're sitting in a coffee shop, you're sharing with your friend the gospel, and you're answering their questions, and there's that moment when they, when they say, I want to believe, I want to accept that. What would you say at that point? What would you say to them? You'd probably say, well, then let's pray. Let me lead you in a prayer. And oftentimes we call that the, the salvation prayer or the sinner's prayer, right? That prayer that, that, that leads them into salvation. My question is to you, Does that prayer save the person? Not necessarily. It's not the prayer. What saves them? The faith in their heart saves them. We're saved by faith alone. By our faith, we're saved. 
That prayer is useful, though, because that prayer is able to articulate or declare that faith. Well, in the book of Acts, never once do you see somebody wanting to accept the gospel and saying a prayer. You just don't see that. There's no salvation prayer in the Bible. Instead, you see when somebody received the word of God and wanted to believe by faith, what did they do? Well, they got baptized. Let me show you Acts chapter 8. And this comes up in several instances, but here's one. In verse 12, it says, When they, the people, believed Philip as he preached the good news, preached the gospel about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. And so the moment they believed, they got baptized. Why did they get baptized? Well, because just like a prayer would do, their baptism was a way to declare their faith, to show what they believe in their heart. And so baptize them, Jesus says, baptize them. And so when he tells them to go baptizing people, I don't think Jesus' ultimate goal was to see a bunch of people get wet. Like his ultimate goal was not to have his disciples go and dunk people as if that's what brings Jesus joy. I think what brings Jesus joy, the ultimate win is when people's hearts are won over. When they win hearts because they're sharing their faith and explaining the gospel, when people are finding Jesus, that's the win. And that comes through our evangelism. And so we're supposed to help people find Jesus through evangelism, but that's not it. We're also to help people follow Jesus through discipleship. So let's look at that other participle in verse 20, teaching them. Teaching them refers to discipleship. What's discipleship? Well, discipleship is simply helping a person follow Jesus. A disciple is literally a follower. So when we disciple each other, we're helping each other follow Jesus. How do we do that? By teaching them. Teaching them what Jesus taught in the word of God and helping each other to observe these things. Let's live these things out and let's be real followers of Christ. And so the goal for the followers of Christ that Jesus leaves for them in this great commission is to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. And that is the mission of South Bay Community Church. It's rooted in great commission. When, when Pastor Gary started this church 30 years ago, that's what it has always been. To help people find and follow Jesus Christ. That's our mission. If you're new to our church, welcome to our church. And I want you to know that this is what we are about to help people find through evangelism and follow Jesus through discipleship. That's the heart of this church. And so another way we can define a win is when we look through the window. Well, let's call it the window, the framework of the Great Commission. And we have to ask ourselves, are we seeing people find Jesus for the first time or are we seeing people follow Jesus even closer? When we look at our attendance numbers, when we look at our activities, when we start up new ministries, let's look through this window and ask ourselves, are we helping people find Jesus and are we helping others follow him? Because if we can say yes to that, then that is a win. That's what we need to be about. So every Tuesday morning, our staff, we get together for staff meeting and a typical thing at a staff meeting is we review the weekend services. What went right? What went wrong? 
What are the numbers? How many people came to 5 p.m. service? How many people came to 9? How many people came to 11? How many people came to kids' crew? How many people watched online? And so we're reporting a lot of details and numbers. But the win is not in the numbers, and we have to remind ourselves that. And so what we do is before we even get to the numbers, we're asking the question, let's talk about the wins. What were the wins? And so we'll start sharing stories we've heard, people we've talked to, what have people been experiencing, and we'll just share victories and successes and wins in people's lives. And I love that. That's part of one of my favorite parts of our staff meeting. And I can share with you a lot of our stories that we've been able to share. Let me share with you just one. I want to share with you a win that I learned about just this past week. So there's a couple, Gil and Esme. It's a couple at our church, and Gil and Esme um, have only been attending South Bay Community Church for a few months since July. And before, the, before they ever stepped into this building, before they even knew this church existed, for some, they didn't belong to the church, and for some reason, they had been reading their Bibles. And Gil, the husband, he had been reading the Bible, and as he's been reading the Bible, he, he said to his wife, Esme, he said, I want to get baptized. Problem is, they didn't belong to a church, so how are they going to get baptized? One week after that conversation, one week, they're at the grocery store. They're at the uh, counter, and they have a bunch of groceries, and there's this guy, this stranger that they meet at the grocery store. We'll call him Bob. Okay, and so, so they, they meet this guy, and Gil is apologizing because they have all these groceries, and Bob's only got one. Have you ever had that situation where you feel so bad because they only, or maybe you're the one with one, and you're angry because they got so much in front of you? Well, Gil apologizes to him, and they say that Bob graciously says, it's okay, it's okay, and he takes that brief opportunity to give them a gospel track, gives them a gospel track. They read it, and they say, thank you. Well, Bob, at some point, eventually asked them if they go to a church. They say, no, we don't go to church, but we've been reading the Bible. And they explained to me, Esme and Gil explained to me that Bob started talking about how our church, we've done baptisms before, and he thinks that we're going to be doing one again soon. And to me, to be honest, that's kind of a random thing to tell somebody. Like, it's not bad, but just that's not something I would normally share with people. Well, we do baptisms and he decided, I thought it was totally random that Bob should share about baptisms. But as random as I think it is, it's a total coincidence to Esme and Gil. And here's what Esme wrote me in an email this week. She said this. She said, Gil and I looked at each other both thinking, how did this guy know we wanted to get baptized? When we were leaving the grocery store, it turned out that Bob was parked right next to us. <laughs> When we came out of the store, he's loading the grocery. He saw us loading the groceries in the truck and asked if we wanted to head over to church then and there, since service was at five and it was around three at the time. We didn't go that day, but ended up going the following weekend, and have been coming back ever since. <laughs> Last week, Gil and Esme got baptized at South Bay Community Church as part of the church family. Let's praise the Lord for that, yeah? One more time. That's a win. That's a win. 
that this couple should be able to find a church and grow as followers of Christ. Now, here's what's crazy. What sparked that conversation between this couple and a stranger named Bob? Well, here's what they told me. And when she wrote this to me, my jaw dropped. Here's what she said in the email. She said, we felt bad because we had a bunch of groceries that were already being scanned, and he only had a bag of <laughs> mandarin oranges. Who is this Bob with mandarin oranges? It's this Bob. It's this Bob. The one who would peel mandarins for Sergio at Baycrest. This shows me the wins that are happening. More than mere attendance numbers can show me. This not only shows me a person willing to peel it and help feed a person physically, but it shows me someone who's looking for an opportunity to feed a person spiritually. This shows me a person who takes an opportunity standing in the grocery line to invite a couple to church so that they could find a church family and follow Jesus Christ. I, I spoke with Bob. I asked him if I could share all this. And I think Bob and I would both agree that in this story, Christ is the hero. Christ is the superstar. Christ is the center of attention. And because of his victory in Bob over sin and death, we are able to live in that victory. And we are able to live out that victory. Because of Jesus, like Bob, we can look for opportunities to reproduce and multiply our faith. And because of Jesus, like Bob, we ought to go out there helping people find Jesus and follow Jesus Christ. And when we do, those are the wins. And so let's be a church that chases after the wins. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's praise the Lord. And man, I, I'm just so excited. Let's pray together and respond. God, I thank you so much for the examples and the stories and the testimonies of real wins that are happening. People living out their victory in Christ. People living out spiritual success as they live in obedience to you. People committed to looking for opportunities to share their faith, to reproduce it and multiply it. People committed to going beyond these walls to help people find Jesus. People committed within these walls to help people follow Jesus. Thank you, Lord that as you've been increasing numbers, that among the numbers, among the crowd, there are hearts that are showing evidence of life, that there's evidence that you are changing us from the inside out. You are transforming us, sanctifying us, proving that we are yours and you are ours. Thank you, God. We love you so much. Help us to continue to chase after and pursue after the things that truly count in your eyes. Lord, we worship you. We give you life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.